so much, girls. Open your Bible, please, to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Many years ago, in our last church in Ontario, uh, we had a, I think it was a little Christmas gathering, uh, one particular Christmas, and so we uh, went to the dollar store. Our church was very small, and we hardly had anything in the way of money, and so we went to the dollar store, and we bought uh, several gifts, uh, one for everyone. Um, We had in our church at that time um, a woman who, um, uh, she was a widower, um, our hearts went uh, went out to her, but she had uh, some strange ways about her. And when the uh, gifts were handed out, everyone opened their gift. Uh, she looked at it and she said, I don't remember the exact words, but she said, what's this? This is no good. Give it to somebody else. And that hurt. When we went to the trouble of of getting a gift for her, and she said that. She rejected the gift. How many have ever had that experience? Someone that you've given a gift to and they've rejected it? Anyone? Okay, a few of us. You've gone out of your way. You've made a gift. Maybe it was to a friend, someone at work, someone at school, or maybe within your own family, maybe a neighbor, and they've rejected the gift. There's an old saying, beggars can't be choosers. Beggars can't be choosers. Now, what does that mean? That someone who's begging, when you give them something, they can't say, oh, I don't want that. It's not good enough. Yet that very thing happened to my wife and I when we took a bunch of groceries out of our own cupboard to help a lady who said she was in need on a Friday night. And the baby needs formula and all these things, so we, uh, we took our own food and brought it to her. And then later, we got reprimanded for not giving more than what we gave. Things like that, you don't tend to forget too quickly. About 1,600 years ago, approximately 400 A.D., a man named Jerome wrote these words in Latin, noli equidentes inspecere donati. And I know you, you recognize those words right away, and you recognize that famous saying, but it's translated loosely into English, never look a gift horse in the mouth. That's a, an English expression. If someone gave you a horse, and then the first thing you do is look and inspect its teeth to see how old it is and Often you can tell a lot of the condition of the horse by inspecting its teeth. And so when someone gives you a, a horse, that's very rude and impolite to say, well, now, just a minute now. I know it's free, but I'm going to check these teeth and see how the, the, the animal is doing. You, you don't look a gift horse in the mouth. So when it comes to gifts, uh, I know you can receive them or you can reject them. That's very true. When it comes to giving gifts to God, Do the rules change? Or do the same rules apply? Beggars can't be choosers, and God has to just receive whatever we offer him. That's a good question. And I hope we can come up with a good answer. 
from the message today. So let's pause and bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, help us, everyone, to know you better, to learn something from the book that will teach us your will, teach us how to behave. Our Heavenly Father, we pray, Lord, for, uh, for those that may not be saved here in the auditorium or watching over the Internet. Lord, please have the Holy Spirit impress upon them indelibly their need to run to Christ. They have no guarantee on tomorrow. And so many will go to bed tonight and not wake up tomorrow. They'll be in eternity. They'll have died. Our Father, we pray that you'd please uh, answer this prayer and help us, Lord, to know you better. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, the text I want you to look at here with me is simply in verse 4, and it's a reference to a guy named Abel. Now, you've heard of him. His brother is named Cain, Cain and Abel. And it says, By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice. Well, Abel offered unto God a sacrifice, but it doesn't say that. It says a more excellent sacrifice, and it says more than that. He did it not by sight, he did it by faith. When we limit ourselves to sight, we can only do a tiny bit. But when we use faith, we can do so much more. So much more. Uh, the excellent sacrifice was way better than Cain's, his brother, by which he obtained witness, by which Abel obtained witness that he was righteous. Look at this, God testifying of his gifts. And by it, he being dead yet speaketh. And that's true. Because even though Abel is dead all these many years, thousands and thousands of years, yet it's still speaking to our hearts. Now, uh, I'd like you to turn back, please. Keep your finger there or put a bookmark or something there in uh, Hebrews and turn back to the book of Proverbs. <clears throat> the book of Proverbs. And we'll go to chapter 15. I'd like to show you a principle that God teaches us here, and it's one that you and I need to be aware of. We need to know this. In Proverbs chapter 15, and I'd like you to look, please, at verse 8. Read that out loud together with me, would you please? Verse 8. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. Did you know God is not interested in the gifts of the wicked? Did you know that? That's what it says right here. And so wicked men and women, wicked people, not saved, living their lives for the world, the flesh and the devil, wicked people, if they try to make an offering, a sacrifice, a gift to God, God is not interested. God is not the least bit interested. And there are people today who think they can buy God off. They can bribe God. They think somehow that if they give a large sum of money, perhaps, that God will turn a blind eye to their sin and to their wickedness. And that is, that is absolutely wrong. It is absolutely not true. God is not concerned with a, a bunch of money. Did you know that he owns all the money anyhow? If he wanted, he could just collect all of the world's wealth to himself. The world's wealth now numbers upwards of $300 trillion, something like that. That's what I read 
uh, some, of course I never counted it, who, who can, no one can, but that's what uh, uh, they estimate, about 300 trillion. And if God wanted to, he could turn on a heavenly vacuum cleaner and he could just draw to himself all of the world's wealth. He could do that. Men dig down deep in the earth going after gold ore and silver ore and precious metals. If God wanted to, he could just draw all those to himself. No problem whatsoever. God is not impressed when wicked men or women make an offering to God. He is not impressed at all by that. You see, Christ and the devil have nothing in common, do they? Do they? No, they don't. Um, gifts that are given enter that person into relationship or fellowship or closeness with the receiver. I want you to turn to chapter 18 of Proverbs and see that for yourself. Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs 18, and I'd like you to read out loud with me verse 16. Let's read it. A man's gift maketh room for him and bringeth him before great men. Can you think of anyone greater than God? I can't. There's great men and women in the world today, and according to this verse, a gift will bring you into the presence of great people. But that the principle is exactly the same. A gift given to God, a proper gift given to God, will bring you into closer fellowship with him. Now, that's a very important uh, principle, and that we need to learn it, is that we need to give back to God. Some Christians have this stingy idea that they just take, take, take from God, and they don't have to give anything back. And that's actually a very sinful, maybe even wicked mindset. Because think of all what God gives us every day. If you were able to open your eyes today and get out of bed and get dressed, that was a gift of God. Here we all are clothed and in our right minds. That's a gift of God. Everything you have, including your job and car and home and clothes and furniture and money in the bank and all of the uh, family heirlooms and trinkets and all the electronics you have and all of the things you've been able to do over the years, it's a gift of God. You've been allowed to do these things. Now, barring anything wicked, God wouldn't want you to spend precious resources on wickedness. He, although some Christians do it, God's not in that. But everything else that's good and proper, you have because God allowed it. Oh, what a great big wonderful God. He gives and gives and gives. And the Bible says in Psalms, he daily loadeth us with benefits. Now, in the relationship, we're to give back to God. He gives to us, we give to him. Uh, many cultures in the world today, when you go to visit someone, you bring what? I can't hear you say it loud. A gift, right. Um, sometimes there's a housewarming gifts, sometimes birthday gifts when you show up, um, sometimes gifts for no particular reason just because you show up. But that's, that's kind of a cultural thing, but what's wrong with it, hmm? What's wrong with that? Now, I know things can be overdone, and especially around Christmas time, some people feel they have to give outrageous gifts, expensive gifts to all of their relatives and friends and, and people they know, and it puts them in a poorhouse, and they go into great debt, and they spend all year getting out of that debt, paying all that debt off, and then come Christmas, they do it again. 
And that's a, a common problem, and it happens to God's people as well. We need to safeguard against that. And so if that's a, a little pit that you find yourself in around Christmas, start today and vow to God that you won't do that again. You know, if you're going to buy gifts for all these people you don't even like, then go to the dollar store, you know, and save some money or something, huh? Wow. Well, this is the principle here. Gifts given enter the giver into a relationship with the receiver. That's exactly what that proverb teaches in 18 verse 16. Uh, that's why God loves a cheerful giver. He says in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, God doesn't want anyone to give uh, grudgingly or by constraint. Oh, all right. If it'll get you off my back, here you go. God's not interested in that. And by the way, if it was your loved one's birthday or anniversary and you, you went up to them and said, I didn't really want to buy you anything because it just... I can't afford to do this, but I did it anyhow. Here, take it. And they offered that to you. Chances are you'd say, oh, no, no, you don't have to do anything. It's all right. You can take it back to the store and get your money back. You don't have to do anything like that for me ever again. You might answer back something like that. No one wants to be offered a gift with those words. I didn't want to get you anything, and I still don't think I should, but boy, I, everyone would call me crazy, or they'd get on my case if I didn't do it, and You'd hate me, and so here you go. Here's, here's a, a birthday gift. Now get off my back. Wow, that's real spiteful, hateful, isn't it? God doesn't want that kind of giving either. God loveth a cheerful giver. And you do too, and I do too. Anyone who gives me something, I want to see a smile on their face, right? So do you. You're exactly the same. If it's your birthday, anniversary, or, or some event or something, and... Someone comes up to you, you want to you see a big smile with that gift. You want to know for sure that they're giving with a, a happy heart, a joyful giver. And God is exactly the same way. God loves a cheerful giver. Now, gifts show the other person. They show love. They show devotion. They show affection. They show commitment. And God himself is a giver of gifts. We know that our salvation is a gift of God. For God so loved the world that he, what? Gave his only begotten son. God's a giver of gifts. James chapter 1.17 says, Every good gift, every perfect gift cometh down from above, from the Father of lights. God is a giver. God delights to give. God is happy giver. God wants to give. Sometimes we don't want his gifts. Sometimes we... We sort of take them begrudgingly or we just take them very greedily and we give nothing back. Giving enters you into a closer relationship with that person. Now you say, well, wait a minute, it doesn't affect my salvation. No, listen, I'll tell you what happened. When you got saved, you received a gift. That's how you got saved. God started the process by giving you a gift. You received it called salvation. And you said, Hot diggity dog, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven now. And God's gift of salvation is what got you into his family. You couldn't buy your way in. You sure don't earn it or deserve it. You can't sneak in without God looking. It has to be received. That's the only way anyone can, can get in, into God's family and get to heaven is by receiving it. And listen, 
If you are here today and you have not yet received the Lord Jesus Christ and eternal life, which is in Jesus Christ, I urge you with all my heart, do it today. Do it today. Do it today. The longer you wait, the more you're mocking God. The longer you wait, the more you're trying his patience. The longer you wait, if you're here today and you've never been born again, the longer you wait, the, lo the more you're tempting fate. You're, you're chancing tomorrow. You say, well, God's a good God. He's a good old boy. He'll give me a, a second chance. He may not. He may not. There are people not alive today because they've rejected God's offer once, twice, three strikes. They're out. So if you're here today and you've never been born again on the invitation, I encourage you, I beg you with all my heart, come and get saved. You can be saved at the front. You can be saved where you're sitting. But be saved today. Gifts enter us into a closer relationship. And God started it by giving you his greatest gift. Now that got you into the family. But what makes you closer to God is when you give to him. Maybe you're here today and you don't feel very close to him. You feel that kind of God is, there's some distance there. Maybe there used to be much closer walk. Maybe today you're, you're walking further away from God. Now, this is not the only reason, but I'll tell you one reason why this happens is because we fail to give back to God. I married a beautiful woman. She's the most faithful woman in the whole world that I know of. She puts up with, with me all these years. And it's uh, 42 years ago that we met. And we dated four years and been married now on 38 years. She uh, still likes me for some reason. My wife is a very giving person. If you know Mrs. White, you know she's, she's very loving and she's giving of herself. She's, she thinks nothing of uh, doing things for others and she's, she works hard. I've learned a lot about love from my wife. I've learned a lot about giving in a relationship from my wife. She's been a great teacher and helper to me over the years. I don't mind admitting it. I sure wasn't born with all the answers, that's for sure. And I'm still working on a few too, by the way. Still trying to get my head around a few things. But something I've learned is that as I give to my wife, I get closer to her. Husbands and wives that are far apart, they don't give to each other. They don't give affection. They don't give attention. They don't give little gifts. They just don't give. And they drift. And they drift further apart. One reason why you may be feeling far from God is you're not doing your part of the equation. He's been giving to you, but you're not giving to him. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? If you're not a giver, you'll never be close to God. Even though you're saved, you'll never get to walk with him in this life. Now, it says here in uh, Hebrews, it says a more excellent sacrifice. Now, the word sacrifice means to, to, it's from a word that means to make something sacred, to make it sacred. And the idea is it's a gift made to God. Some people, when they give, they're ready to take it back. And they'll go into their room and say, listen, I, I gave you this and that, and, and, and you haven't been very nice to me. I'm taking them back. How many have ever had a gift given and then taken back? 
someone's taken a gift away from you? Oh, a few hands, yeah. It's, it's sad, isn't it, when that happens? Because it breaks the whole spirit, the whole idea, the whole rule of giving. Is you give, and that's theirs. What they do with it, well, it's, it's you know, up to them. But you've given it. You haven't loaned it. Imagine that birthday. Here, I'm loaning you this. Oh, here someone else comes. I'm going to loan you this. Everyone who gives you gifts, they're not a gift. It's a loan. You know, with a little card in there saying, uh, this is on loan, and when I want it back, I'll come and ask you. Well, you'd probably say, well, keep it. Keep it. Who wants that? When, when someone gives you something, it's a gift. When you give someone something, it's a gift. And when we give to God, it's made sacred. If it can be made sacred. Some gifts cannot be made sacred. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to God. We just learned that. So it doesn't matter what that wicked person does, that gift cannot be made sacred. Organized crime... What they do with all of their illegal money they make off drugs and prostitution, because they have to show how, you know, the, the money somehow, is they, they launder the money. Fancy term. And what do they do? They put it in a washing machine? No. They launder the money. They'll take it down and they'll gamble it away in their casinos that they own. And then the casino takes in all this money and it can show to the government where the money came from. So now... The dirty money becomes clean money. It becomes laundered. They're very clever. Very, very clever. It doesn't fool God. But they're very, very clever in what they do. Wicked people. Wicked people, they cannot launder their money before God. They cannot launder their gifts. It's all abomination. When a wicked person comes and offers God a gift, it's just an abomination. Abomination is something that turns your stomach. Some of you may be, you know, queasy around blood. My wife's sister went through medical school and training and graduated as a nurse and went to work in an emergency ward of a hospital. Six months later, she quit nursing. She discovered that even though she knew all the answers and, you know, she, she knew what went where and she knew what things were for, the sight of all of the gore and the blood, people being brought into the emergency ward, and, uh, you know, their entrails hanging out and the groaning and the screaming and the tears and the police coming in, you know, with, with criminals with missing a, a limb or something and they've got to be sewing back on. Six months of that, and she, I'm out of here. It takes a special kind of person to work in the uh, mortuary and in the, the business of death, the funeral home. Uh, some people, uh, they, they just seem to be able to do it. And uh, a, a lot of people that work in that industry, <clears throat> not, not all by any stretch, but a lot of them that work with cadavers and, you know, do the embalming and all that stuff, they drink alcohol on the side. They buffer all of that misery and death and horror and all that stuff that they have to work with. And they, uh, a lot of them are alcoholics. Not all of them, but that happens. And uh, it takes a special kind of person to work in that kind of trade. Well, when it gets to giving to God, we learn that when we give something to God, it becomes sacred. Uh, back in the Old Testament there, when they would do their animal sacrifices, the killing of, of the uh, offering and, and so on, the idea is they would bring it to the temple and then the worshiper had to take the knife and cut the throat. 
It wasn't the priest. It was the worshiper who brought it. They had to do that. The priest was there with a bowl to catch the blood. And then they sprinkled it, and then they took the body, the carcass of the animal, and they would carve it up according to uh, God's uh, prescription. You may find that kind of gory and sort of thing, but folks, if we lived back then, we would be involved with it because that was God's prescribed way back then. It's called law, and we would have to follow all of these laws. We're not under law anymore. We're under grace. Amen to that? Wow, I sure am happy. I'm an animal lover. My problem is when I see an animal, I want to give it a name. Yeah. When you do that, then, oh, look, they're taking Fifi to the slaughterhouse. Oh. So uh, animal farmers never give names to their cows or their chickens or, you know, they don't name them. They don't let their kids name them for that reason. You know, it's a business, right? That's what it is. But a sacrifice is something that's made sacred something you can no longer take back. You give, and it belongs to God. Now, quickly, let's go to the New Testament book of Romans, and let's look at three things very quickly that we can give to God that are holy and sacred, and we don't take back. You give them, and you don't take them back. You don't go into God's room and say, I want that back. I gave this to you, and you didn't answer my prayer. I'm taking this back. You don't do that. Romans chapter 12 is the first one. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on these. I just want to point them out to you. But I want to point out three sacrifices that you and I can make. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you, brethren, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. That means you give your body to God. Uh, it's, it's quite possible that there's a Christian here today who's never done that. It's quite possible that there's a man or woman who's saved on their way to heaven, but they've never given their body to God. Maybe because they didn't realize they had to, they're supposed to, or maybe they knew they're supposed to, but they're holding back. They're thinking, well, if I give my body to God, I mean... <laughs> What's he going to do with it? He may just call me to be a missionary in uh, Timbuktu or, you know, oh, uh, Bangladesh or uh, someplace where, where I don't want to go. Now, I had that exact same problem. Uh, going into Bible college in 1978, uh, I said, Lord, I'll go where you want me to go. But for some reason, and I think the devil did this, he put into my head, don't go to Africa. Don't go to Africa. And all the mental images I had were negative images. And I said, God, I'll, I'll go anywhere. What a dumb thing. I'll go anywhere but Africa. You know that there are uh, places in the world that are um, uh, a whole lot worse living conditions than Africa? Uh, Africa's, parts of Africa are really modernized. And uh, parts of Africa, you know, are really doing well. And there's other parts that are more barren and so on. We realize that. But I was... I, I was a kid, and uh, I went to the Bible college, and I said, Lord, I, I don't want to go to Africa. I don't want to go to Africa. And I kept holding off. And when I heard Romans 12, 1 and 2 preached in chapel, and I realized I need to give my body to God. I wasn't relating it at the time to Africa, but I just knew that's what God was asking me in the scriptures, so I went back to my dormitory, and I gave my body to God. And 
the Holy Spirit brought the subject of Africa to my mind. And I said, I'll go to Africa. I'll go anywhere. I'll even go to Africa. Now, the Lord didn't take me to Africa because he knew that if, if I had gone to Africa, I would have spoiled things. I wasn't ready. So God took me someplace else. But my point is, give your body to God. And some Christians are hesitant of doing that because they think, oh, well, God will tell me to do this. He'll tell me to do that, and I don't want to do it. And so they hold off on giving their body to God. But it's your reasonable service. It can be reasoned out. You know, from heaven's perspective, God sees everything, and he sees all of the good and all the bad, and he knows the right path in life. And the right path involves giving your body to God. That's step one. That's one thing you can do. If you've never done that, do it today. Come on the invitation, get on your knees and say, God, I don't know how to do this, but you can have my body. It's the best I know how, Lord. Whatever there is of me, I want to give it to you, Lord. So you can give God your body. Now, if you turn to, um, back to Hebrews, over to Hebrews there, you put a bookmark there. Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. And we'll look at verse 15. Hebrews 13 and 15. It says, By him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of, what's that next word? Praise. Praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Did you know that you will have no problem giving thanks to God when he answers your prayers? When you get a raise? When you get a gift of money on your birthday, you'll have no problem saying, thank you, Lord, thank you, oh, thank you, Lord. You'll have no problem singing his praises and worshiping him when all these good things are happening to you. But what happens when the bad things happen? What happens when you get bad news? What happens when you get a flat tire and you're in a hurry? How quick are you to praise God? Well, that's a testy one, isn't it? When you're in a hurry and you get behind the slowest driver in all of Surrey. And you're there, come on, come on. Hard to give praise to God, isn't it? When things don't go our way. That's when it's a sacrifice. It's no sacrifice when everything's going so well. It just comes out of you. That's not a sacrifice. But it's when things go rough, when they go bad, when you get bad news, when you lose, when people you were counting on let you down, when a loved one leaves you. That's the test of praise. That is the test. Now, Job had that. And he lost, remember he lost everything? And he said, the Lord giveth, the Lord hath taken away. What did he say next? Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's right. So how are you doing in that department? You may want to come on the invitation and tell God you promise you're going to give him praise no matter what. Sunshine or shadows, day or night, heat or cold, wealth or poverty, sickness or in health. Give him the thanks. Give him praise. So that's the second sacrifice you can give to God. Now, the third sacrifice. Very quickly, turn back a few pages to the book of Philippians. Philippians. Verse 
Philippians chapter 4. Uh, in verse 14, Paul writes, Notwithstanding ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. He's talking about their financial gifts to support him. He was a missionary. Verse 15, Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, that's in Acts chapter 16, by the way, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. The church at Philippi was the only church that actually was taking up missions offerings. I don't know if they did it the way we, we, uh, we do it with faith promise and we put cards up on the wall and so on and we take you know, sort of pledges like that as to what, what people want to give for missions, but they gave. Maybe it was just simple offerings. They put together, hey, the Apostle Paul's got needs. Let's, uh, let's dig deep and give. And they, they did that and they put together money and it was sent. Uh, Paul says that you are the only church that did it. Verse 16, for even in Thessalonica, that's when he was in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again unto my necessity. Not only did they give to him once a large financial gift, but they did it a second time because they loved God, they loved the work, they loved the Apostle Paul, they felt indebted to God, they wanted to make a sacrifice, and the sacrifice was their money. This is the third way in which you can sacrifice to God is with your money. Now, folks, we have a missions program in this church. And we do it every year, and we try and see what, what people will pledge to God, vow to God, and then we, from there, take on missionaries as, as we can. Now, if you're able just to look back at that wall, and we've got four months now since we started our campaign, and two of the months, the first two, we've met the goal, and the next two months, we've dropped approximately $1,500 per month. Right now... Our church is sitting at $3,000 behind our pledge. Now that means, simply means, that there are people who've made a pledge to God and then they've reneged on their pledge. They've made a promise to God and they've done something else with their money. Maybe they've gone out to McDonald's with their faith promise money. Maybe they've taken it and bought, you know, toys or furniture or something or paid bills with it instead of giving it to God who they promised it to. So I just bring that to your attention. Um, I'm a giver too. And uh, my wife and I, every year, we think and pray, and then we come together and we talk about what we feel the Lord would have us to give. And we do that every year for missions. And we increase our missions giving. And every single week, we give to missions. Every single Sunday, Sunday morning, I'll be sitting there, the offering bag will be you know, offered to me, I'll put into the offering bag my regular tithes and my faith promise offering. I'll put it in. You can watch me do it every single Sunday, like clockwork, when I'm sitting there during the invitation, or during the offering. I do it every single Sunday. I like doing it because as I give, I'm giving my heart to God. Remember that when you give, it, you enter into a relationship. That's the biblical principle. One of the reasons why a lot of Christians seem so far off from God, they're not getting much out of their Bible reading, they're not getting much out of their prayer, is because they're not giving to God. Giving is important. It's part of how we live and breathe within, in, within God's family. 
Yeah, well, do I have to give in order to get to heaven? No. For that, God's done all of the giving. But if you want to be close to God, you need to learn to give. Give your body. Give your praises. And give your offerings. That's very important. Now, it says in Hebrews 11, if you want to look at it once more, that Abel gave a, in verse 4, a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Now, some gifts are just that, just gifts, where other gifts are way, like it's the second mile. They've gone, only gone the first mile. They've gone the second mile. And they've gone above and beyond. It's above and beyond the call of duty. That's what Abel did. He gave above and beyond the call of duty. Now, it's in Genesis chapter 4. We don't have time to, to go back there and to look at it all, but you can read it on your own there in Genesis chapter 4, the first five verses. It's very clearly written that Cain went and got this and that out of his garden and brought it to God, and God rejected it. And Abel went and got the firstlings of his flock and offered that to God, and God accepted that. Now, the differences are very clear. Um, the ground had been cursed by God. God had specified uh, through uh, their father, Adam, about the sacrifice of an animal and the blood and all that sort of thing. And essentially, Abel was just simply obeying God, whereas Cain wanted to do it his way. Well, I don't think I have to do that. Uh, I think that God should be very pleased with some celery and a few carrots and some um, rhubarb over here. Everyone loves rhubarb dipped in sugar. Uh, surely, that, I mean, hey, beggars can't be choosers. Here you go, God. And God flat out rejected him. And Cain got angry and his countenance fell. Hmm, it's like a pouting little kid. And that's when God counseled with Cain and said, oh, be careful. Sin is lying at that door. Sin is there. And of course, what happened after? What did Cain do after? Killed his brother. Yeah. Killed his brother. God was right. Sin was right waiting outside his door to grab him. And that's exactly what happened. And Cain got swallowed up in that sin of murder. Oy. There, are, there are people today that, that have pulled the trigger, that have put the knife in, that have, have given the poison, who never thought they'd ever do it. They never, ever thought in a million years they would ever do such a thing. Now they're murderers. And by the way, how many murders you have to commit in order to be called a murderer. Can't hear you. Just one. How many lies do you have to tell in order to be called a liar? Just the one. How many sins do you have to commit in order to be called a sinner? Just one. All have sinned. I'm not going to ask you to put up your hand. Because someone here is not going to put up their hand. But if I said, how many here have committed sin? You don't have to put up your hand. The Bible's put up your hand for you. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's why man needs to be born again. Well, listen, if you're going to give to God, it must cost you something. There has to be a cost. Otherwise, what's that? Imagine you're on your way to church. And you say, oh, they're going to take an offering. And you look down, oh, $20. $20 bill must have fallen out of some woman's purse. There's my offering for Jesus. You pick that up. 
Maybe on your way into church, you're thinking, well, 20 is a lot. Maybe 10, you know, because God doesn't, he's not hard up. 10 will satisfy God. So listen, you could put the whole 20 in and you still haven't given anything. You haven't given one penny. That didn't cost you anything. Well, someone had to bend down and pick it up. A gift needs to cost you something. There has to be, like, that's, that's the word sacrifice. It, it has to cost you something. Number two, it, it must not be cursed. You, you can't take prostitution money and give it to God. You can't do that. It can't have a curse on it. So it's got to cost you something. By the way, I read an interesting story about a guy in church. He was a bit of a, a tightwad, a, a miser, you know. He, he didn't like to give anything. And as the preacher was preaching, he felt in his heart, hmm, it's a good cause. He's preaching for missions. Maybe I'll, I'll give $10. And as soon as he said that, he started having this struggle within him. And it's the old devil. The old devil. Maybe you've experienced it. And you felt, boy, I'm going to give to that. And then it wasn't 10 seconds later, the devil's there saying, oh, now, oh, let, oh let's, let's rethink that one. Oh, you know, you don't have much money. You know you've got needs and you've got some things you want to buy. Oh, don't be, don't be too hasty here. And this man, as he sat there, the devil was giving him a hard time and, and the offering plates were being passed and it was coming toward him and, and he had his, his wallet there and he wasn't sure what he was going to do and he was squirming and he was wrestling and fighting and he just hated this and hated himself and finally the, the offering plate came to him and what he did was he just threw his wallet in. <laughs> and then he, he said, now squirm, devil! And he got himself a victory. Um, it's got to cost you something. It can't be cursed money. And it must be given by faith. You give by faith. So you're not giving to a church. You're giving to God. You see? So those three principles. Now, what happens when we give God's way? Well, in Hebrews chapter 11, our text here, it says, by faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. Now, here he obtained witness. Now, that, that suggests an expression of his salvation. Did you know that unsaved people, by and large, are not going to tithe to God? Unsaved people are not going to give to God what Christian people give. Right? Hey, listen to this. Down at the men's meeting... One of the uh, guest preachers was named Jeff Hastings. He was a great preacher. And he said something, as I sat there, he said something that, uh, that really hit home. And he, he uh, came down off the platform, something like this here, see? He came down like this. And he said, well, I don't come down here too often, do I? And, he, and he, said, he said these words, don't let visitors in your church do more than you do. Don't let visitors in your church do more than you do. So what was he meaning by that? Well, visitors can come and sit during the service, but generally that's all they do, right? They're not expected to do more. But if you're saved and, and this is your home church and you hang your hat here and you park your feet under, under the table of the Lord, you need to do more than visitors. Now that makes all the sense in the world, doesn't it? We don't expect the visitors to tithe. 
but we expect the regulars to tithe, right? Am I wrong? We don't expect the visitors to get up and, and usher people to their seats. We don't expect the visitors to uh, uh, volunteer and, and, and help as, as a, a greeter or work in the nursery. We don't expect the visitors to do that. Why should some Christians do nothing more than a visitor do? Man, that spoke to my heart as I sat there. That spoke to my heart. I thought that was good. Abel obtained witness that he was saved. A man saw a bumper sticker. You know these bumper stickers that used to say, Honk if you love Jesus? You ever seen those or heard of them? Yes? Yeah, very common, right? I think back in the 70s they came out. Honk if you love Jesus. Well, a man saw one. And he said, it said, if you love Jesus, don't honk, tithe. How about that? If you love Jesus, don't honk, tithe. Anyone can honk, but who's going to tithe? Those that love Jesus. Abel obtained witness. And watch also in verse 4. Um, God testifying of his gifts. God got excited. You don't think, some of you, some of you here don't think God gets excited. I'll tell you, God gets excited when sinners get saved. God gets excited when Christians get right with him. God gets excited when Christians will give a sacrifice to God, be it their body, their praise, or a financial gift. If it's done right, God is happy with that. There's an excitement. You say, Pastor, you're always preaching on money. Well, you're wrong. I don't always preach on money. I don't always preach on money, except you only come to church when I happen to be preaching on money. <laughs> no, I got a whole Bible full of truth to preach on. I don't have to park my bus on, uh, on, on, on the money thing. But it is part of the whole counsel of God. And I can just tell you this from the, from the authority of the word of God. If you know the Lord and you're not a giver, you will never walk close to God. You need to give. Money isn't just the only thing you give. It's one of them. But Abel obtained witness. God testified. And he being dead yet speaketh. It was an example to others. It helped others. Now, the purpose of Christian giving is to build close relationships with God because, to be quite honest with you, God doesn't need a dime. The whole purpose of Christian giving, be it your body, your praise, or your finances, is to build quality relationship with God. That's why we give. That's why I like to give every Sunday. Every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday, I give. So you need to ask yourself this. How close are you walking with God? That's really what it gets down to. How is your giving? How is your giving? We've got Sacrifice Sunday coming up the end of the month. I honestly want you to think about it and pray about it. You know, oh, does that mean I can't come to church if I don't give? No, 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 no. No, that's being stupid. No, of course you can come. The door's wide open. Anyone can come. You can come to church and not bring a Bible with you. You can still come. 
Now, if you're going to rabble-rouse and cause trouble, you can't come, okay? But you come. You don't have to give. You don't have to get baptized. You don't have to be a member. You don't have to dedicate your children. You don't have to serve God. But you can come. You're probably not going to be real comfortable, though, because I do a lot of preaching on living for the Lord. This year, our theme is serving the Lord. Well, we just don't want to serve the Lord. You don't have to. I'll give you a little tip here. God doesn't want you to serve him with that attitude. God loves a cheerful giver. If there's anyone here that has a happy heart toward God, boy, won't take two seconds to get God and a, and a happy Christian together, and they'll do great things. But no, you don't have to do any of that. I'm still saved. You're still saved. Yeah. But you need to ask, how was your closeness with God? Wow. I want to put the challenge to you today. Let's take a step of faith and draw closer to God through sacrificial giving, our body, our praise, our finance. Would you stand to your feet with me, please? You've been very patient. Thank you so much.